Live from a NASCAR bunker in Kyle's parents' basement, it's Turn the Radio Off with Mike Parsons and Kyle Bauer. Facebook.com slash TTRO show. Follow along on Twitter.com slash TTRO show or just listen right now. It's turned the radio off. If you are hearing this broadcast, we are already dead. What? Actually, no. I just cursed us. One of us might be dead. It depends. It depends if any, it depends if anyone listens to this reboot here. It's- Mike, what the hell are you talking about? Well, Kyle. I don't know if you noticed, but things are kind of fucked right now. Yeah? You and I have been in a podcast coma since uh, 2016, and uh, we wake up and emerge to to this. Everyone else having a podcast, literally? That's true. And uh, <laughs> I, I would like to say that we had a podcast before podcasts were cool, but uh, even though everyone has one, somehow having a podcast still isn't cool. No, uh, we could fill the entire duration of uh, us coming back here, uh, just naming off every podcast that has been launched since we've been gone. And most of them are hosted by Joe Rogan. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, I am Kyle. Am I Avocado Bauer on this one? Am I, I Kyle? Av- was, like I said, was, I, that, was that real deal on sports just only? You know what? Did I have a nickname for this show? No, I think it was just Kyle. Am, am, am I know, just Kyle Bauer? Your, your Christian name. Am I, am, I, am I Kyle Lunchmeat Bauer? Am I Kyle Avocado Bauer? Look, it's 2020. Am I Kyle the Toast Bauer? We've survived the apocalypse. Blue Collar Kyle Bauer? That was always my favorite. That's a good one. I uh, like that one. We've survived the apocalypse and really... Really, I feel like everyone's just free to reinvent themselves because um, the world we knew at the beginning of 2020 is gone, and now we have this. And, and Kyle, everyone talks about the the terror and the horror of the apocalypse, but no one ever talks about the mind-numbing boredom of the apocalypse, Mm. the uh, sheltering in place, the social distancing, the... Mm. um, the staying home. Mm. No one ever said how boring this apocalypse was going to be. Mm. I mean, we're so bored, we're relaunching this podcast that's been dead for four years. Mm. The last the last uh, episode I could find was 2015, but I feel like I feel like we were at least broadcasting through the Trump nomination. Uh, I want I definitely know that we were. I want to say that we did it into 2016, either right before the election or right after. And I want to say that one of the reasons why I wanted to stop doing the podcast was because I was feeling burnt out in 2016. So can you imagine how I feel now? I've I've made several revolutions around the sun, not just by virtue of, of living on Earth, and that's what happens, but metaphorically... I've made several revolutions to, to the point where I've burnt out, okay, burnt out, okay, burnt out, okay, to the point where, you know, you talk about being numb. I guess I'm pretty much numb now. I, I mean, what what new horror will you wake to each day? Uh, the reboot of this podcast. 
I suppose. As if you thought 2020 couldn't get any worse. We're back. Well, and, and you know what, Kyle? I have to be honest. Number one, I, I, I don't know if I'm equipped anymore to do a, a podcast where we discuss current events because ever since 2016, I, I feel like we've all gone a little crazy and all of our heads have been kind of screwed up, you yeah. know? Like, there's really no baseline truth anymore. There's alternative facts. And um, whatever your point of view is, and, and this, this wasn't new before 2016. It's just got, it's, it's, it's just become more intense. Whatever your point of view is, there is a cable news channel on half the internet to back it up. So, you know, I, I, I really, for the longest time, and, and I still am not as good at it as I used to be, um, ha- have had trouble analyzing current events and calling balls and strikes and, and, and saying what's truth and what's BS because there's no there's no baseline truth anymore. There's there's just spin, you know? Um, yeah, there's 200,000 200, people uh, have died of COVID as of this uh, – uh, the taping of this podcast, but uh, then you talk to people who who tell you that it's it's all a hoax, and they've got their set of numbers, and then I just go by the numbers of the officials. But then there's a whole propaganda machine out there that that uh, preemptively undermines um, the experts and and the institutions that we have held sacred. So, you know, what whatever reality, whatever reality you want to live in. I guess you can choose that now as long as you actually uh, don't catch COVID and actually die. What gets me is that it did get this bad. Mike, I remember a prevailing sentiment that me and you both had. Um, either again, we can't remember the last time we recorded or when our last show was, which is kind of a shame. I remember we never had a proper send off. It just kind of abruptly ended. That's how most of my podcast. I just kind of get busy, and it's like, okay, man, I'll see you when I see you. So, but so I remember it did end around the election, though. But but the the common sentiment that that we agreed on between the two was that if Trump wins, it's not so much going to be a horror for us, and that it'll never get that bad for us because yeah, as as straight white males. We're going to be fine no matter what happens. I mean, we might get burned at the stake for speaking out against uh, the dear leader, um, you know, come 2023. But in the meantime, you and I are going to be fine. Well, I think we were saying those things tongue in cheek, but, you know, as podcast fodder. But it's gotten to the point where I think almost every worst nightmare, aside from, you know, maybe the big one, which would be a you know, world war. Yeah. Um, which God mercifully that has not happened yet, um, has come true. We've had a catastrophe, which was the one thing I think we all knew that Trump was not equipped to handle. And he's displayed that he is certainly not handled or certainly not equipped to handle it. Well, it depends on who you ask Kyle, (laughs) because there's a lot of people out there who say it's everyone's fault, but his, right. Yeah, and, and and that's true. It's it's people's fault for acknowledging that, or it's everyone else's fault for acknowledging that it exists. You talk to people, a lot of people I know, they will tell you that. That it's not his fault, it's your fault for bringing it up. 
for merely acknowledging that it exists, that it's real. How dare you? You know what I don't get with the anti-mask people? I, I mean, I can understand the mindset of the anti-mask people. if Because, you know, for the longest time, Kyle, I... I for for the longest time, and I still am this way. You know, I'm skeptical of everything. You know, everything's a hoax. Um, you know, even. Uh, but my where where I came down on COVID was this. Okay, let's say it's being overblown. Worst that happens is is I don't get some virus that everybody is saying isn't as bad as as what's being reported. Worst case scenario, I don't listen to it. And I get a respiratory disease that either kills me and screws me up for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for, for the anti-mask people, okay, like, you don't want to wear a mask. That's stupid. Stay away from me. But I don't get the people who go up and harass people for wearing masks. Like, that's the, that's, that's the most, that's the epitome of what's it to you. You know, it's like, I can understand if... I'm, I'm a mask person, and I can understand me being pissed off at someone not wearing a mask because they're putting me in danger. But if you're an anti-masker and someone's wearing a mask, why are you getting offended? Well, I think the great irony in, in all that, and really in all this, and, and part of the reason why we are where we're at right now as a society, is you have the aggressors, and the aggressors are the Trump people. And they have been the Trump people. And we've let them trample us. And the problem is, is that we're all too polite, we're all too decent, and and we're all, frankly, good people. <laughs> so, and and I hate to speak in absolutes. I hate to draw lines and say, oh well, you know, there's more nuances. But I'm getting tired of it uh, because, again, that's what has brought us to this point in history right now where we've spent the past four years trying to make peace, trying to say, uh, oh, well, you know, there are people who have their reasons, uh, economic anxiety, what have you, uh, why they're supporting Trump, um, why they are the way they are. We, we, you know, we have to try to settle and make peace with them. And I, and I do have people that I know that I am, I guess, respectful of and courteous with, and I do have family members uh, that I am respectful of and courteous with, and I always take the high road with, uh, who like Trump. But at the same time, I, I stop and I think it's these situations where a guy, one time when I was at the liquor store, this was all the way back in May. Hell, it may have even been late April. That's how long this has been going on. Think about that, Mike. We could have been having this conversation five months ago. The weird thing is it feels like it just started yesterday, but it also feels like we've been in it for years. Jeez, you're, seriously. So, yeah, when you think about it, it's insane. Um, so, yeah, so I'm minding my own business at the liquor store, and this was before the mask mandate, and I was one of maybe eight people in the liquor store. Uh, only person wearing a mask. It was very uncomfortable for me. The guy in line behind me, of course, wearing a Punisher shirt, says, you know, don't have to wear that mask, boss. You know, and yeah. I'm just trying to buy a bottle of wine, minding my own business. I ignore him at first, and he wouldn't stop. Hey, hey, boss, take that mask off, boss. Yeah. Hey, Why hey, do you care? don't have to tell you what to do. Government don't have to tell you what to do. And he would not leave me alone until I acknowledged him. I said, listen, man, I'm just trying to buy some wine, enjoy my night. 
That's all. Hey, 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 just trying to let you know it's a free country, boss. Don't have to wear that mask. Yeah, well, it's my choice to wear this mask, but yeah. but but thank you, brave patriot. You can you can go back <laughs> you can go back to your countrymen and uh, tell them about the sheeple you met at the at the liquor store who uh, you know is just trying to be safe, just in case maybe Anthony Fauci, uh, the CDC and the World Health yeah. Organization might know what they're talking about. Right, looking looking out for you, just in case. Right. Just in case, I'm looking out for you, okay? Because what what does it hurt? Right. It's a piece of cloth over your mouth that in other countries, in Asia, Japan, South Korea, when they have flu season, they've been doing this for decades. Were they precautionary? Out of precaution... They have been wearing face masks just during cold and flu season for decades. They've been doing this. Right. Look how South Korea handled this thing. Look how Taiwan handled this thing. Vietnam, uh, you know, uh, Taiwan, who, by the way, has been in the middle of, of mass protests for months now. And they've still been able to keep this thing under control because people have still been wearing masks because they've always had a handle on, on viral issues. Uh, because they take precaution. They look out for each other. They believe in science. But things have just been constantly distorted. But at the same time, I go back to the whole civility issue. Um, to bring up another example, I was up north at a Walmart with uh, a friend of mine. That was and, your first mistake. Yeah. Right. And uh, some guy was wearing his mask around his chin. The so, old chin strap. So, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, so my friend uh, yells out, nice uh, uh, chin, or excuse me, nice chin strap. Yeah. You know, I get verklempt, so to speak. You know, I, I, I get nervous, and I'm thinking like, hey, don't say anything. Yeah. I don't want a confrontation, yet- Especially because a lot of a lot of these anti-mask people are, are looking for someone to say something. Yet at the same time, why wouldn't I be looking for a confrontation? Because why aren't you wearing your mask? Right. Why am I the one backing down? You're the one putting me in danger. So that's what I talk about when I say there's too many occasions where we're the ones backing down. Well, and actually, and I would say there's no better uh, illustration of that than what's uh, what's happening with the Supreme Court right now. Um, you know, the the, the moment that uh, a lot of uh, people feared happened on Friday night. We all got the uh, news notification that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who everyone was hoping was going to hang on till 2021, bless her heart, you know, she had pancreatic cancer and, and a whole lot of uh, health maladies, and it seemed like she was just trying to will herself into 2021. She didn't quite make it, and she, she passed away, leaving a, um, a vacancy on the Supreme Court. And so I would say it was, it, it was within an hour or two of news of her death hitting that... Uh, that uh, uh, the right-wing spin machine was out talking about how they were going to fill the seat. And Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell 
couple of people who are on record as saying back in 2016 and, and Lindsey Graham again in 2018 uh, saying that they would not have uh, they, they were not going to fill the vacancy left by the death of Antonin Scalia because you can't fill a Supreme Court uh, uh, seat during an election year. Uh, they came out and said, Hell yeah! All right. Well, we've got uh, we've got a list of people, and we are going to ram this through before the election. Mm-hmm. And you know, Kyle, I, I do have to say, I don't I don't even really have a pro I don't have a problem with 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 Donald Trump nominating someone before the election because that's a Donald Trump thing to do. Yeah. And and in 2016, he wasn't really a part of that whole uh, Supreme Court kerfuffle when Obama tried to. Uh, nominate Merrick Garland, and the Republicans wouldn't take a vote on it. Uh, Garland got passed over, and, and Neil Gorsuch uh, was appointed by Donald Trump. So, you know, uh, Donald uh, Donald Trump, he wasn't part of that, and Donald Trump is a uh, former real estate uh, tycoon shark, so if he sees his opponent on the ground, uh, he's going to kick him until they win. And I don't even have a problem with with uh, Republican senators who stayed quiet about it in 2016, um, trying to confirm a Supreme Court um, nomination. I do have a problem with senators uh, on the Republican side who are on record as saying that uh, you can't appoint a new Supreme Court justice in election year all of a sudden just saying, well, things are different now. Things are different. Lindsey Graham came out and said, oh, well, what they did to Kavanaugh, now things are different. No, if Kavanaugh would have never happened, he would have found something else to point at and, and, and say it's different. Um, but, 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 I mean, here's the thing. I don't think Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham care what they look like. Uh, and, by the way, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, two other Republican uh, senators who said that uh, – they would not. They're against a vote for a new Supreme Court justice before before a new president's in place, which would give um, the the Democrats the four senators they need to um, to not confirm whoever is uh, put forth by Donald Trump. But of course, Lindsey Graham is going back on his word. Mitch McConnell's going back on his word. Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins. They're saying, I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to play out with these two. They're going to say they're against a vote, but hey, since there is a vote, we will vote yes yeah. on the, uh, this next Supreme Court justice. Well, and you have Romney. Uh, and Ro- well, Rom- well, Romney came out and said that he's for a vote, but he didn't say how he would vote. But, you know, all these people, just, just, like, just like during the Kavanaugh hearings where a couple of them sort of feigned um, concern and, and sympathy for uh, Christina Blasey Ford, um, they're, they're all going to fall in line because... Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell don't care how they look. They have the chance to heavily stack the Supreme Court with conservative justices. That's the holy grail to them. So even though Lindsey Graham came out in 2016 and said, you can save this tape, no new Supreme Court justices in in an election year, and then saying it again in 2018, they don't give a shit because that's the finish line. The finish line is right there for them. You know, it'll never cease to amaze me how low Republicans will go and how Democrats will never understand how low Republicans are going to go. It's It's not about integrity. 
It's not about serving your constituents. I would actually, I would have more respect for someone if they came out and said, yeah, I, I, I'm for, I, I'm for them uh, putting a new Supreme Court justice in place because it fits my agenda. At least that's honest. Don't give me any other. Don't give me any other explanation about how the liberals did something, and so now it's fair. Just, just be honest. Say, look, this is great for my agenda, and uh, politics is a team sport. We're gonna dunk on the libs, and we're gonna own them. Matt Walsh, um, who is a conservative blogger, and I mean far right conservative blogger. Yeah. Uh, you oh know, yeah. That if anyone's not familiar, the guy is a nightmare political commentator and blogger um he just blatantly said it today uh, mask off literally and figuratively uh said it's all about the political game this this isn't about integrity this isn't about playing fair it isn't about playing right now I do admire that because Mike, like you said, I I have to listen to people in my life, people that I know, people who I want to have respect for, um, say, well, oh well, this this is this. To, to I guess they're probably I'm I'm trying to rack my brain to think, you know, which family members are going to say what line. Over Thanksgiving. Right. Oh, well, I think the Kavanaugh one is going to be the most common one. Oh, well, with the way they treated Kavanaugh, I mean, this has to be the response. Well, and you oh, see, oh, oh, oh. I've seen the meme all over the place where it looks like Kavanaugh's on the verge of tears. Like, remember what they do did to this man. Yeah. We re- owe the liberals nothing. Yeah. Remember, Fill the seat. Remember what he did to Christine Blasey Ford. Remember all the illegal uh, tax write offs and Washington Nationals tickets that he took. I mean, there were a million reasons why this guy shouldn't have been confirmed, mm-hmm. aside from uh, just the sexual assault that he was credibly accused of. Uh, so there was every right uh, for him not to be confirmed and to at least investigate it and have a contentious hearing. Now, uh, of course, of course, if you're going to play off of what happened with Merrick Garland, no. There should not be a justice confirmed, especially within 46 days of the election. Of course, the Republicans right now are on a roll, and it all started with gerrymandering back in 2010. And and that's where you got the, the Tea Party caucus. That's where they started rewriting all the rules, and they've been rewriting the rules ever since. And And I think this is where you also have to talk about where the Democrats fall to blame in this because they ever since 2008 they've been riding a wave of arrogance that I can't seem to understand they in that time lost the house they lost the senate they lost the presidency sure they got the house back but there has been so much that they've squandered in that time not to mention allowing a Supreme Court justice confirmation to get blocked. And then they just continue on like everything is fine. They allow Joe Biden, who I think we can all agree is a very flawed candidate, to be nominated. And again, they continue on as everything is fine. And Nancy Pelosi has talked about the possibility that if they do win the election... They're going to leverage that power to veto Trump as a lame duck, or excuse me, veto Trump 
excuse me, impeach Trump as a lame duck to keep him from being able to confirm um, whatever new Supreme Court justice comes into power. Now, that has to be their last play. They have to get down in the muck. They have to shed the arrogance. They have to shed the, when we go, when they go low, we go high, Michelle Obama rhetoric. Because just as I was talking about earlier with the mask situation, where all of us people who consider themselves a part of the left or just decent people, we've sat here and we've let ourselves over the past four years be trampled on by fascists. Be trampled on by people who have lorded over us the ideas of civility, by the ideas of this great America, by the idea of this great white America, by the idea that they can bully people, harass people, knock people down, talk people down, and enough is enough. This has to be the final straw. And this is where Democrats, for the first time, and I'm not just talking about since the Trump presidency, I'm talking about 10 years have to show a backbone and they have to play dirty. And when, when whatever Republican, whether it be commentator, politician, what have you, or moderate tries to come back and say, oh, well, how dare these Democrats play dirty? Don't fall for it. Right. That's the problem is that they always fall for it and then they back off because they can't handle their reputation being flawed in any sort of way because too many of them are career politicians. Well, and Kyle, a couple points uh, from your your monologue there. Uh, Number one, I I mean, I, I always intellectually knew politics was a dirty game. But it really has been illustrated by, I, I mean, it, you watch the sound clips of Lin, Lindsey Graham in 2016, 2018, Mitch McConnell in 2016, and now what they're saying now, they, they're they they're not even embarrassed. Never seen a stretch like this. They've got shit-eating grins on their face because they know that they have a, the opportunity to stack the Supreme Court for decades to come. And, and the first thing they're going to go after is Roe vs. Wade. And then they're going to tr- go after Obamacare, and I'm pretty sure after that, gay marriage is their next target. Um, now, as for the Democrats' um, strategy of getting the House, getting the Senate back, and 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 trying to impeach Trump, that's that's counting on them winning as big as they think they're going to win, and they ran that that bit them in the ass in 2016. Um, so it's a hypothetical at this point, and, and a lot of things have to go right um, for that to happen. Now, you you talking about how you know people will back off because you know liberals or, or or commentators or journalists will back off because you know they're they're playing by the normal <laughs> what used to be the normal rules of decorum. I remember one of the things, and I forgot who said it. Um, it was after a Kellyanne Conway um, interview. And they say that, you know, Kellyanne Conway, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, now Kaylee McInerney, and, and whoever goes on, you know, these, these, these shows with the quote-unquote liberal media and get away with just saying whatever the hell they want to say, somebody said exactly what you said. What happens, you ask, you ask them a question, a tough but fair question, all of a sudden, oh, well, how dare you ask me this? And, and, and they like they get offensive and they try to uh, make it look like you're being the, the asshole or they'll 
or they'll skirt the question you ask again and then you go on to something else. What you need to do is you need to keep asking the question until they answer the question. Yeah. I just ask it over and over and over. Um, now, talking about, you know, back in 2016, um, Antonin Scalia died almost a year before the election. Mm-hmm. We're 42 days away from Election Day right now. But the thing is, Democrats don't have to get to the Election Day. They have to get to Inauguration Day, right. which is in, in January. I mean, um, they might, uh, I, I mean, let's say, let's say um, uh, a Supreme Court nominee is is put up okay and they don't vote on it till after election day and let's say democrats win big on election day but it's still the republican held senate who gets to vote on the um on the supreme court justice that might that might um incentivize some of these republicans on the fence to uh to vote yes because they're not going to have this chance ever again. Yeah. Um, and real quick, I, I looked this up, just how long it, it took for each Supreme Court justice to get um, uh, to get nominated and confirmed. Um, it just goes through all of them. Brett Kavanaugh, the most recent one, 89 days, which, is, which would put it after election. These are all after election day, but inauguration day is about 120 days away. Uh, Neil Gorsuch took 66 days. Elena Kagan, 87 days. Uh, Sonia Sotomayor, Sotomayor, I've heard it a couple times, 72 days. Samuel Alito, 80, 92 days. John Roberts, 72 days. Stephen Breyer, 77 days. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 50 days. Clarence Thomas, 106 days. So all of those time, all those time frames put it after Election Day, but before Inauguration well, Day. Two things to point out was the two longest ones on that list was Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas, and both were contentious hearings, right? Because they were both under, more or less, under investigation for the same thing. Um, so you would have to figure, even though whoever uh, Trump's nominee will be um obviously there won't be an investigation but you have to figure it will be a contentious hearing and there will be you would hope whatever type of i guess trick uh to obstruct these hearings and drag them out as long as possible and uh, you know again it's it's time to play dirty and it, you you have to think what the long game has to be, and and that's the problem, is that liberals, Democrats, they really haven't had a long game. I, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think a big mistake that she made was that she was thinking when she had her cancer diagnosis uh, initially in 2013, I think obviously her thought process was, well, okay, well, I can beat this. And then her thought process was, okay, well, Hil- Hillary Clinton's going to win anyway. Yep. Which but, is exactly why the Democrats didn't put up that big of a fight when Merrick Garland wasn't confirmed. Which, because they're like, okay, well, you know what? We wait a few months. Hillary will be our, our, our new president, and uh, Merrick Garland will just walk you right through. Which is still absurd to think. When you have an opportunity, you have to take it. And if that's an opportunity to step aside for the good of the country, you have to take it. I don't want to diminish the positive things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did for this country because obviously she did do a lot of positive things for this country. Um, 
I don't want to diminish that again, but at the same time, hindsight's twenty twenty, and in my line of sight, I can't help but think, what if she did retire when Obama could have appointed someone else to fill that seat? Exactly, and in this country would be, um, I think, in a lot better hands for her purposes, for the things that she fought for throughout her career. Right, because and, and you and you have to wonder where her mind was at when she was doing everything she could to hang on by a thread uh, to make it to the next election with the hopes that Biden would have won. Yeah, and really, I mean, it, it's 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 unfair to... Uh, it is unfair to, um, you know, pin, uh, put that all on her shoulders. Well, it shouldn't be on an 87-year-old woman's shoulders. Right. I mean, somebody... I, I saw a tweet going around that said, uh, maybe... Uh, maybe uh, there's a flaw in the system where you feel like the future of your country uh, lays on the shoulders of a sick of a cancer-stricken 80-something-year-old working an eight-hour work week. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's that's a serious problem. And, and I think uh, there are so many institutions that I think are eroding right now, uh, partially because, you know, whether I, I think certainly our electoral college might be the biggest one. Um, and you you know, Mike, I'm I'm gonna digress real quick here. Don't worry, this isn't gonna be one of my typical di- digressions where I wrap up my point in 45 minutes. Wow, Thir- it's taking you 33 minutes into the reboot to uh, uh to digress. So have at it. Okay, all right. The electoral college. There's there's one thing that I keep coming back to that just keeps rattling around in my brain. Was right before Trump was. Um, was officially elected by the state delegates. I remember there was an opportunity to stop this. That if it was felt that he was not official or if he was not qualified, Mm -hmm. capable, the delegates did not have to elect him. That was really the last stopgap. And the only good stopgap in the Electoral College that can keep somebody who is not qualified from actually being president, especially when they lost the popular vote by 3 million votes. And I will never forget all the liberal friends that I have and all the liberal commentators I know and I see and I was reading saying, no, we must abide by the electoral college process. Yes, we're upset and we're bitter and we're scared that Trump lost to Hillary by 3 million popular votes, but we must uphold this process because what if in the future the Republicans try to do the same to us? We must uphold this process. The delegates must elect him. It's unfortunate, but it's our country. It's our process. We must play fair. Well, how does that fucking taste now? You know, to be to be honest, Kyle, I probably would have been one of those people. I think I know time. you would have, Mike. Yeah, but I was not one of those people. I said anything we can do to keep this to keep this guy out of office. Anything we can do to keep this guy out of office, Cause well, because he's, he's dangerous. And you know what? If that's if that's a scenario for Biden, I bet you the Republicans will try it. And you know, I, I was thinking about that today. They, they might they get away will. with it because yeah. let's be honest. Republicans right now are better at this than Democrats are. They have been for a long time. They have it, like I said, for the past 10 years. Ever since they started, and this this, this rounds back to the point of, of our institutions eroding. 
um, and well, being it, exploited. It speaks and, and to the power of not giving a fuck. Right. You know, because the only reason these institutions and a lot of these things are still intact is because people voluntarily abide by them. Yeah. If you have a guy in the White House and then you have a, a whole bunch of people who have fallen in line after he shit all over them, they've fallen in line like the beta males walking around behind the bully in, in, in school. Um, didn't really take him long to fall in line either, did it? It really did it. No, no, uh-uh. no. Ted Cruz was was phone banking for uh, Trump like what days after Trump called his wife ugly, called his dad the Zodiac killer. Yeah, but so the power of, of walking around and and not giving a shit because people let you get away with it. Yeah. Um. It, but uh, here's my my too long didn't read take on the Supreme Court thing. I actually would have. I would actually have no problem with them ramming uh, a Supreme Court justice through because that's the game. Except for the fact that there are four Republican senators on record as saying they are not for appointing a Supreme Court justice in an election year, and four just happens to be the magical numbers that Democrats need uh, for the uh, Supreme Court justice to n- not get confirmed. So if if Mitch McConnell would have kept his mouth shut in 2016, if Lindsey Graham would have kept his mouth shut 2016 to 2020, and if uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, they, they haven't gone back on their word yet, but they have in the past. If all those people would have... would have stayed silent i wouldn't like this but i'd be like okay well you know fair is fair but but now that you have all these people out on record uh at least 50 percent of them right now going back on it it's horse shit who's gonna hold them accountable though no who's gonna hold them accountable the only the only people who might hold them accountable and the only people uh the the only recourse people think they have is the voters but (laughs) it's mcconnell's not mcconnell's not uh He's not in a vulnerable district. Um, Lindsey Graham's not in a vulnerable district. Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins are. They're Republican senators from from mostly liberal states, so that could be why. Yeah. But you know what? It's something for them to consider, Mike. I apologize for cutting you off. It's something for Murkowski and and Collins to consider, too, is that 20% of people, um, pretty consistently across, have seen like three polls on this, and I can't name them off, so I, I suppose this information is for what it's worth. But it's it's consistently around twenty percent of people believe we should wait till after the election and confirm uh, a new Supreme Court justice. So that's something Collins and Murkowski may want to consider. Romney is an interesting one because he's obviously from a conservative state, right? And but he was bold enough to where he supported impeaching Trump. What I want to know is why two days ago. He, he's already flipping on what he said two days ago. What did he say two days ago? Two days ago, he said he's he's opposed to um, confirming uh, a Supreme Court justice until after the, uh, you know, we got to wait till after the election. But he went back on his word today. Well, and yeah. and, and now, now he's in favor of holding a vote. And I guess, as you said earlier today, maybe he's being tricky with his wording, and you know he's saying, "Oh well, I'll hold a vote. Maybe he he'll vote against it." Right. And do he didn't say turn. how he didn't say how he would vote. He just said, "Go ahead and hold the vote." 
Yeah, but that doesn't sound promising. It sounds like he's doing another heel turn. I, I, I like to say that uh, Romney Elizabeth warned me uh, because I, <laughs> every every time I felt like uh, I found my new political hero in Elizabeth Warren, she did something to let me down. Uh, well, Romney, I, I was thinking, well, Romney's kind of the last hope of uh, last glimmer of sanity on the Republican Party and you know, well, then then he goes ahead and he, you know, does something inconsistent and ghoulish like that. Well, yeah. there you have it. Yeah. And, and we, you know, look, we don't know how he's going to vote. We don't know how Murkowski and Collins are going to vote. Uh, but let, let's just say there's a track record that leaves us less than optimistic. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think ultimately they'll all fall in line. And I think the Republicans will get their wish. And unless the Democrats themselves get into the muck and they find a way to stop the confirmation till after the election. One way or the other, they have to figure out a way to play dirty. And the problem is, is that they just are incapable. They are incapable. And you would think that this, maybe if this was 1987, we would be saying that virtuously. But the problem is, is, is that it's clear, you know, and, and politics has always been a dirty game. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said earlier in the show, it's always been a dirty game, but now there's no shame in hiding it. It's out on the forefront. As, as you said, they got shit eating grins on their face now. And it, it is what it is. You got to play dirty right along with them or else you're going to continuously get undercut and, and there's no hope for your party. You know what I would say? I would say this, and I don't know if it's a compromise or not. I would say, go ahead and nominate somebody before the election, and then after the election is when you should vote. And then, yeah. and then you could, you know, maybe, maybe you could play, maybe you could play on their insecurities a little bit. Like, what's the matter? What's the matter? You don't think your guy's going to win? Because look, I mean, look, if, if if Trump wins the election, and you know, you have four years and he's got a Supreme Court vacancy to fill. Okay, I'd rather it not be Donald Trump who fills the Supreme Court vacancy, but, you know, then at least that's somewhat fair. Well, there's there's also two things at play. There's a, there's a really contentious Senate battle going on in Arizona right now as well, where the Democrats have a potential to flip a Senate seat. The the Arizona. woman who replaced John Mc, the late John McCain, correct? Yes, I and, apologize. Uh, I don't remember her. Yeah. But she lost to him in a primary and then after he passed away, she was just appointed to his seat. Yeah, and I believe is it is it Mark Kelly, the uh, former astronaut? I uh yes, Gabby Giffords it, husband. Yes, husband. He's running against her. Yes. Okay. And and that's he's actually up in that race right now. Yeah. So that's a seat that they could flip. And and also a state that Biden can win, which would be an upset on two fronts. Mm-hmm. I think if, if you said six months ago, that would have been different. Uh, thankfully, their governor handled COVID so terribly, he's tanking things for the entire party over there. Uh, but I, I, well, I shouldn't say thankfully. That sounded ghoulish. But you know what? Hey, we're playing dirty now. So who cares? Obviously, Trump doesn't care that 200,000 people are dead. Right. So let's use this political capital now. Fuck it. So anyway... Uh, as, as I was going to say, um, you know, so that's something to look out for. Uh, but, you know, there are a few different things at play. Also, if Trump figures out a way to contest this election, which if it is in any way close, which frankly, chances are it will be, 
Uh, because Biden can't seem to pull away in the states that he needs to. I'm not even convinced that Biden's going to win at all. I'm not close. Well, <laughs> close. <laughs> well, well, I, I, you know, it's funny because I, I, I go back and forth on this so often. Um, if you ask me, I'll, okay, I'll give it to you this way, Mike. If you ask me in April, no way in hell. In May, probably not. In June, you know what? Yeah, he is. July, yeah, I think so. August, yes. September, he's going to fucking choke this thing. Because he's just, he's, they're running too cautious of a campaign. And for a long time, that was working. But the problem is, is that, Mike, you talked about apathy Mm -hmm. uh, with coronavirus. Trump has been running a campaign that has neglected that it's even going on. Biden is running an overly cautious campaign in the face of that, most likely because of his health issues. Yeah. Okay? You need to get Kamala Harris out there more. Mm -hmm. You need her to be the face of the campaign, to be the energy behind the campaign. I don't care if it says Biden on the ticket. What are you going to do? Run attack ads on Kamala Harris? Right. Try it. Go ahead, try it. She she's got to be the energy of the campaign. She's got to be the face of the campaign. So I saw pictures of her uh, doing a campaign event in Detroit, and again, socially distant. She had about twelve people there, and every everybody in a bubble. You got to figure out a way to get more people to these events, get more energy. Stop being so conservative. You have to. Well, I understand they're trying to be safe. Trying to be conscious of COVID, you have to get more energy in these states. But if if that race is close whatsoever, back to my point, second digression today. I'm doing well so far, especially for a comeback show. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, it is very on brand. Our first topic has gone 45 minutes, but that's as much my <laughs> Te- fault as it is yours. Technically. Yeah. Technically. Uh, so, okay. So, but, but what I'm saying here, what I'm saying here is that if this race is close at all, he still has, Trump still technically has a 5-4 advantage. Yeah. And 5-4 advantage, technically. Oh, if it goes e- up to the even Supreme if, Court. Even if Roberts hasn't been going with conservative opinions lately, and he's kind of been that swing vote, mm-hmm. still he technically has a 5-4 advantage. So if this goes to the Supreme Court to decide it, like the, how it did in 2000, mm-hmm. and Scalia... You know, did his buddy uh, W a favor and gifted him that election? Mm-hmm. It's going to go to Trump anyway. Yeah. Well, and and I because I want to get I want to get to the Big Ten returning uh, to football after um, saying they weren't going to. But you know, all I will say is about Joe Biden is this: he's not he's not the Joe Biden of 2016. I think he started then. I he started off that way. But the first time he was the first time he was um, challenged in a debate by Kamala Harris, um, he uh, that that guy died. Like yeah. he he just seems like very cantankerous and don't you dare challenge me, you dog-headed pony soldier or whatever old man rip he made on uh, going report. after union auto workers. Yeah, and uh, you know he's just he's just not likable. He's he's got no energy. Um, you know, he doesn't have that like cool grandpa vibe anymore. And his commercials, I don't know if you see his commercials. They run a lot during Fox two news where it's just, it's just 60 seconds of him giving a, a speech to silence. It's, it's that itself is very dystopian. So, so yeah, I mean, I I think we all knew that, uh, if Biden became president, it's not because Biden wins, it's because Trump loses, but yeah. 
God, he's not. He is. He is not making it tough on Trump at all. No, and before it it, it, it really was, we're just going to play rope a dope. We're going to let Trump ru- tire himself out, say a bunch of stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. Now Trump's campaign is starting to get some rhythm. And Biden's campaign has never really found its rhythm. Well, and, and, and that's it's a problem. And it seems like this is about the time Trump's campaign started finding its rhythm last time. Exactly. You know? Wow, funny how that works. Yeah, so. It's because you have people who actually know how to campaign. And you know how they figured out how to campaign? By breaking the rules of yep. how to campaign. Yep. They 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 wrote their own playbook and it's worked. And and that's still um, you know, copying off of uh you know their their playbook of, of 2016, and and it's it could work for them again, and that's why I'm saying, if they want to flip momentum, um and and really get it back because they have been, I don't know whether to say they've been dropping in the polls or Trump has been gaining in the polls, but whatever it is, it's getting a hell of a lot closer than it was, uh back in August and in July. That. Again, you got to get Kamala Harris out there. You got to get some energy in the campaign. She's got to be the energy in the campaign because even though there's a lot that I personally don't like about her, she's still a good politician. And she still has a lot she could say about healthcare, especially that I think they could really pivot with her. And they need to get her out there, especially because the prevailing sense is this is going to become her presidency. Probably within four years. Yeah, if uh, if if Biden does win, my first uh, tweet will be congratulating Kamala Harris for being elected the first female president of the United States. Yeah, so so get her out there. Yeah, get her out there and get some actual crowds out there too. Figure out a way to do it safely, but get some actual crowds out there too. These no energy campaign visits are doing nothing for anybody. So uh, Kyle, I, the Big Ten. Back in uh, Big Ten, back August 11th, I think it was, they came out and they announced that there would be no 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 Big Ten sports from now until the end of the year. Uh, the Pac-12 followed soon after, and I think these two conferences thought the S the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 are right behind them. Uh, but surprise, they weren't. And uh, this thing in itself became a political shitstorm. The ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 went on to play. And now the Big Ten, and I, I don't know if the Pac-12 has announced that they're they're starting up again. I think they I think they have. If not, they're they're closed. But anyway, what I do know is the Big Ten is going to resume football on October 24th, and I can't tell what kind of look this is for new Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. Me personally, I don't think it's a bad look. I think I think what this shows is that Kevin Warren was overly cautious at the beginning because he was worried about the uh, he was worried about the um, health and, and safety of the football players he didn't fold to the initial pressure from players coaches and parents um, but he did see that um, the other power conferences started and I know there's been outbreaks at colleges but I I don't know if those have been traced back to any of the football teams. Um, and, and so once once that came and went, um, he decided that, okay, we get to October 24th and things are still normal. We're going to play football. And I, I honestly think it's a good look for the Big Ten and Kevin Warren. I don't know about you. Uh, no, I don't. And this is why. Uh, and, and I feel this way about pretty much all college football. 
but especially the Big Ten, is that why why didn't you have this figured out back in May? Why didn't you have this figured out in June? Uh, and I I say this because yeah, this virus has made it tough for people to predict what's going to happen two weeks into the future. But you have to always prepare for the worst, and you have to always do your best to look ahead to the future, especially when you're a multi-million dollar, even billion dollar entity like the Big Ten is. Uh, You know, we're talking a top three um, conference, arguably second biggest conference, I I think, as as far as revenue. I mean, they're right up there at the SEC. Uh, So with that in mind... Uh, why weren't you planning ahead on this? I feel like they could have incorporated a bubble type system where maybe you had. I would see. I I, I think of all the all the sports, and I'm going to call the NCAA football one of the major sports because yeah. it is. I would think out of all the major sports, NCAA football would be the toughest to bubble. Here's why I feel like they could have maybe wrangling the athletes and making sure that they you know, behave would, would be the toughest aspect of that. I and mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds. But way I look at it, Chicago, um, Detroit, what have you, you know, Columbus, set them up there, get tutors, get professors who are willing to set up online classes have them play in these bubbles. Do maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday night games. Do it in conference. Do it by division for the conference, and I think you would be good to go. The SEC could have really done it the same way, but Mike, here's the thing. So the you're SEC- just talking about Big Ten. You're not talking about college football yeah. altogether. Okay, just, because- just by conference bubbles. Conference okay, because yes. I was going to say the reason I thought that bubbling college football would be be tough is just because there's so many teams yeah like 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 literally you would just have to say okay the only ones we give a shit about are the other are the power five you know maybe maybe like the mac or the sun belt one of these bigger mid-level tiers but yeah i i I guess if you went conference by conference you could bubble but it it would only be you know the power five you obviously couldn't uh, bubble every single college football team and every single college football conference. But the SEC never had any intention of not playing. No. Uh, they, they were talking about back April, May, June. They were saying all along, we're going to play. Honestly, the SEC would probably die of COVID than not play. Uh, but something that you have to keep in mind with all that said, that Notre Dame, they're going to have to cancel their next game against Wake Forest because they just had seven players test positive for COVID. Mm. And they were also having something like, I think, 10% capacity at their home games too. So that's something to keep in mind about Notre Dame, who is one of the teams that actually joined the ACC well, conference yeah. for one season. Right, because they, 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 refused, they refused. They really wanted to hang on to that independent label. Yeah, they did. It was actually the first season uh, ever that they've been affiliated with the conference for football. Um, So that's something to keep in mind that it's going to be tough. And I mean, there have been so many games that have already been canceled. I think Notre Dame is really the first marquee team. I know Baylor has had a couple canceled games and uh, TCU. Those are some teams that have had a couple big seasons and have been top five programs before. But I Notre Dame is is really the first, 
I guess marquee program. If you ask my opinion, I think Baylor and TCU are just as good, if not better, in Notre Dame. But TCU and Baylor don't have brand their own, wise. Brand wise, they don't have their own network deal. Yeah, with NBC like uh, Notre Dame does. So that's obviously a big hit, uh, and and something that that the Big Ten has had in mind this entire time. I don't doubt that the school presidents had their players' health in mind. My whole thing is, why weren't you discussing this earlier? Because if they had discussed this earlier, they would have never had the type of issues that they had where you end up having to delay the season. You have these parents protesting with the players on campus. You have these football coaches all distraught because their world is turned upside down. They don't get their bonuses. All of that, you, you're talking about revenue loss. Uh, and something else that I, I think needs to be talked about, too, outside of the Big Ten, is, is that some of these smaller conferences like the MAC uh, and, and Mountain West football, uh, that as, as far as we know, there's not really any sign of them coming back. And you might see some programs never come back right. from this. Like you want to talk? I've heard some schools might go out of business because of this. Because their revenue is tied so much into football, right? And again, you talk about structural institutions uh, eroding before our eyes, and and kind of all of our problems in this country laid bare. That's another one. Uh, and I love college football as much as anyone you know, Mike. Mm-hmm. But why is that much revenue tied into college football? And and that's a that's a problem that even I'll admit. Is, is wrong. And and, and I'll, I'll say this too. Uh, I, for my own selfish standpoint, I, I've wanted college football back. Do I think it's safe that these kids are playing college football? Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, these because they're not getting paid. I, I agree that you take the NFL, you take the NHL, NBA, at least these guys, M- MLB, at least these guys are getting paid. Uh, millions of dollars to go out there and risk their health and make that choice. And they're in a union and they, and they can make this decision to go out there and play. They can opt out and it won't risk any professional career, millions of dollars uh, down the line, like these college athletes uh, who are at the behest of their schools mm-hmm. uh, to perform for nothing. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, however, I can't help it, man. I miss Mountain West football. I miss stumbling into bed at 12.45 in the morning after a night of heavy drinking. Putting on an ESPN2. Putting on ESPN2 and firing up some Nevada versus Fresno State. And I get to see, I don't know, uh, Devante Kalika Ali'i. Uh, catch a 15-yard reception from a 26-year-old quarterback who just got back from a mission trip. Right. And, and he's he, he gets tackled by some uh, other Mormon kid named Skylar Duggan. You know, he's he's one of 14 Duggan brothers. Right. <laughs> They've right. all gone to Fresno State. I mean, Kyle, you and I are still eligible to play Mountain West football. I love Mountain West yeah. football. I and, and if I could do one thing, if I had a billion dollars, I would I would disperse that billion dollars to the Mountain West Football Conference and I'd say, "Listen. Save it. Listen, New Mexico State, you're playing football today. Look, Lobos. You're playing football. University of Hawaii, you're getting on that charter plane. 
And it's going to be my plane. I love catching that the one yearly Hawaii football game. I'm flying you out to I'm flying you all the way out to Wyoming. Is it safe? No. But it's for my own damn entertainment. You know why? Because I'm an American, and that's all I care about. Uh, we do have to get out of here. Uh, one thing I would say is that uh, uh, if you haven't read the Matt Stafford piece in the Players' Tribune about um, how um, you know his teammates and and things that have transpired over the offseason has has opened his eyes to to racism and 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 how you know stick to sports is dead. I think we all know this, and I think I think when you hear someone get mad about uh, athletes voicing their political opinion and, and saying stick to sports, I think nothing makes you sound more like a dinosaur now than that sentiment. So I wanted to touch on that, but uh, you know, Kyle, as uh, same as it was four years ago, same as it is today, uh, we didn't get to everything we wanted. So um, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, thanks for listening, Pulse. Bye.